So, exciting weekend at the Miller household. We had a little engagement last night, my youngest daughter. <clears throat> Some random dude named Connor. Uh, no, he's actually a pretty good guy, so super excited for them. But hey, this just, as we lead into our message day, this is just a reminder that it goes fast. <laughs> and uh, this being my first daughter that was, you know, getting proposed to, it was, whew, not easy. Not easy, folks, I can tell you. Um, but there's something about kids that stirs up a lot of emotion in us, right? It could be all over the spectrum, extreme joy and extreme anger and frustration at the same time. And it doesn't take a marketing genius to know that if you just put some pictures of some cute babies or put them into a commercial, put them on the side of a product, you're probably gonna sell some of those things. Some of us in here are old enough to remember the Michelin tire babies from the early 90s ads. We got a picture, right? Because so much is riding on your tires. There's kind of actually like a Michelin baby-like syndrome, like they like too many fat babies, you know, trying to copy the Michelin babies. So don't, don't, don't do a deep dive into that topic because it was a little disturbing. But needless to say, throw a baby on something, you're going to sell some, some products, right? So because kids are so cute and innocent and vulnerable, there's also nothing more infuriating than seeing children suffer from disease or famine or war or abuse or neglect because of their vulnerability, crimes against them can seem especially unjust. Just like the tragic situation we dealt with here in St. Joe a little over a week ago. Don't mess with my kids <laughs> is a pretty common refrain that I hear from parents. I'm not usually crazy unless you mess with my kids, all right? Anybody heard that one before? If you're a principal, you probably have, right? Yeah. And I've seen that truth in action. I have four kids and, and a grandson. Here's all of them from their youth. Um, and man, you know, I take a special kind of pride or responsibility in, in protecting them. Because I feel like God has given me that responsibility to protect them just like he takes that responsibility very seriously with us as our heavenly father. Nothing triggers me like seeing something unjust done to one of those five, right? In our ongoing conversation that we've been having during this series on Slow to Anger, we've been asking the questions, what, is, what did Jesus get angry about? And are we angry about the same things? So today's discussion centers around the way the church treats children, Okay. So how many of you have gotten the opportunity to watch at least part of the Chosen series? Okay, it's really good. If you haven't watched any of it, you need to. You can just download a little app on your uh, phone or TV and, and watch it. I thought it was really interesting that the writers chose to pretty much make a whole episode about Jesus' interaction with children very early on in the series. And... Um, it's really even before he's invited the disciples to come. Um, they do this whole uh, episode, episode it's three, episode three from season one, 
where Jesus is interacting with kids pretty much the whole, the whole time. So I want to set up this clip we're going to watch. So Jesus has been just kind of camping off by himself off in the, in the wilderness. And this girl from a nearby town stumbled upon him one day and kind of engages him in, in conversation. The next day she brings back uh, her best friend um, and the two of them hang out with Jesus for a day. And then the next day she brings back a whole squadron of kids. So let's watch this. Any reactions to that scene? Like what emotions stirred up in you as you watched that? Yeah, Justin. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, he said, so just the exact opposite of how he acts with his kids, like wanting them to help, you know, with things, knowing that it's probably not going to go as quickly or not be done quite as right. And so just that patience. Yeah. What else? Other reactions, emotions that you felt while you watched it. Yeah, Daniel. Yeah. Mm, how overwhelmed with joy he was when they were reciting scripture together, right? Reminding um, him and one another just who God was and what he's done. Yeah. You could tell it was emotional, right? Yeah, Wyatt. Yeah. 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 Just knowing just his intense love for them and knowing they might not quite understand all that they're saying right now, but that man does hope that someday they, that the truth of what they're communicating really hits home for them. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Kylie. Mm. Makes me want to move close to him, just how safe and gentle he was with people good yeah anything else about what you felt yeah mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah, good. Yeah, just an innocence and purity, that relationship. Yeah, so as I was, um, you know, studying this past week, um, the spirit really kind of reminded me of this scene. Like, it wasn't on my radar all of a sudden. Then I was just like, hey, wait a minute. There's a scene from The Chosen where he's just interacting with children all the time. And so I went back and I rewatched parts of it. And watching that scene in particular, as I'm sitting at my desk Thursday, like, Tears are just rolling down my face I'm watching that um, for some of the same reasons, like just the, the beauty. Well, you can just see how emotional it was, um, the actor portraying Jesus in that moment. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. So I want you to hold on to those emotions that you might have felt as we talk through the different scenes we're going to look at in the Gospels today, okay? So remember what it felt like to watch that and experience that. I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. It's page 1440. Mark 9, starting in verse 33. So Jesus is traveling with the disciples, and it says they came to Capernaum. <clears throat> when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. 
and whoever welcomes me does not, whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So this scene takes place a couple of years after these guys have been following Jesus because they're kind of well into this routine with him and they've seen and heard and experienced a lot on the road and they're caught arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And, you know, sometimes we would look at that and be like, those guys, gosh, what's wrong with them? But honestly, if I was there, that's exactly what argument I would have been having. Because <laughs> that's just my personality. I know enough about myself. Keep in mind that Jesus is trying to teach these guys kingdom values. Okay, because he knows, he's the only one that knows that just in a little while, like a year or so from this conversation, he's going to be gone. And in scripture, it says that he's, he says, I'm going to hand the keys of the kingdom over to you. I'm going to give you the keys to daddy's car here pretty soon, <laughs> right? If you're teaching your kids like how to drive, like I got some values that I want you to have when you're behind the wheel of this thing. You're going to be the ones taking this message of my life, death, and resurrection to the rest of the world. And you guys have got to get this right. There was a lot writing on them capturing Jesus' vision here. And it seems like when they tended to have conversations and arguments and discussions with each other, those things were so far from what Jesus' real heart was. They were missing it. There was a lot riding on them figuring this out. So you can see why Jesus gets a little testy here. He says, you want to be great in my kingdom, be the servant of everybody. And then he says, for example, and he takes a little child and he puts the child into the center of their circle. And he says, when you welcome a little child, you welcome me. No time for kids, no time for me. I want you to turn your Bibles over to Matthew 18, just one chapter back from there, or one book back, sorry. Matthew 18. Starting in verse 1. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So Jesus is saying that greatness is about welcoming the least, loving the least, not excluding them. So consider for a moment how the king of kings made his arrival in this world, okay? Jesus could have appeared on the scene in first century, you know, Israel any way that he wanted to, at any age that he wanted to be. But his birth as an infant in Bethlehem set up this extreme dichotomy regarding power structures. So... On one hand, you've got Herod the Great, okay? Herod was the Roman-appointed Jewish king of that region, of Judea, 
which would include Jerusalem, Bethlehem. Okay? His authority was wrapped up into the normal power structures of the world. It was about prestige and title and wealth and all the things that it pretty much is today. Now contrast that with the birth of the Messiah, the King of Kings, coming into the world in vulnerability and humility and absolute dependence on teenage parents. Greatness in disguise. The child Jesus was overlooked and pushed to the margins, just another rug rat in Nazareth. Jesus knew that, that it, what it was to have incredible spiritual insight as a young person, but be considered insignificant by kings and priests and rabbis. Jesus values the faith and example of children so highly that he makes a pretty extreme comment back in Mark chapter 9. So I forgot to tell you to stick your finger in that, but if you can, just go back to Mark 9 or you can just listen. I'm just going to read one verse. So after he makes that, the, the comment about the, the greatest being the servant of all and that welcoming children means welcoming him, he throws in this doozy. It's in verse 42. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. So Jesus is making sure that everyone hears that, like, you know, he's making sure there's no doubt about how serious he is about this topic. Okay? Now... Uh, a millstone, I found out, was so heavy that in order to move it, you had to have an animal, like a pack animal, that would be, you know, tie up something to a lever, you know, to create some leverage to move it. Like, that's how heavy a millstone was, okay? And, and then people were actually executed by having millstones tied to their body and thrown into the sea. Like, this was an actual means of execution. So essentially, Jesus is saying, it would be better if someone executed you than if you caused a child of faith to stumble. And that statement, that story is recorded in three out of the four gospels, so you know it made an impression on the disciples. That's serious language. <laughs> and just a few days later, we see Jesus coming back to this exact same conversation in Mark 9. So if you just want to flip over one more chapter, I'm sorry, Mark 10. Verses 13 through 16. So a couple days later, he says this. It says, uh, verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. And guys, as, as I try to, you know, sometimes kind of stop and kind of picture the scene, <laughs> I'm picturing Jesus like losing his mind at this point. He's like, I just lectured you guys in chapter 9 a couple days ago about the importance of kids. 
And here we are just a couple days later, and you're pushing them away from me because you don't think that they're important enough compared to these other people. They're an annoyance. Jesus is mad. And there's that word indignant again. We've been talking about that word over the course of this series. It means like you're having a a bodily, physical reaction to how angry you are. He is shaking mad. And I'd be willing to bet money that he yelled what I said to the disciples. Hey, guys, did we not just talk about this? What are you doing? One commentator said what made Jesus shudder was the idea that little ones with the most faith would be treated as second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. And this conversation around children that we're having today is a lot like the conversations we've been having the last few weeks around different demographics of people. We talked about kind of foreigners and strangers that came to visit the temple during Passover, the Gentiles. Remember how they set up tables and he took advantage of them financially? We talked about the disease and kind of just the human condition, the people with leprosy um, that were pushed to the margins of society. Anyone who was marginalized and pushed aside in their culture, that people who claimed to be representing God were denying those people access to the Father, making it hard for people to connect with their Savior. And that was infuriating to Jesus. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. How do we do that? How do we hinder them? And you can think about that personally. You can think about that corporately as a church or as Christianity as a whole. What are some things we do to hinder kids? Yeah. We push our own beliefs onto them. Okay. Yeah. What else? Okay. Yeah, we kind of uh, maybe determine their level of maturity, what they can handle spiritually, um, and maybe say, oh, you're not ready for that yet. Yeah. What about you personally? Yeah, they. Yeah, yeah. We set a bad example of what Jesus looks like and how he operates, how he how he handles being patient with your kids or whatever. Right? We just misrepresent him, and that can be a hindrance. Right? You're telling your children about this loving father who's full of grace and patience while you're screaming at him and being impatient, right? And I'm saying me, right? Yeah, there's this like, okay. Hmm. Anything else? Ways that we hinder. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We prioritize task or efficiency over the human connection, the importance of whatever's on their heart in the moment, or we allow social media to distract us from being present, right? With children. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, we shut them down sometimes because we feel like their opinions aren't fully developed. And yeah, that's good. Hmm. I thought about how sometimes they maybe feel like we love them more when they perform or behave well. I think just sometimes by our priorities as a church, where we invest our money, staffing, I'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> Guys, we need to keep in mind that almost everybody who comes to faith in, in Christ, almost all of them do it before the age of 18. It's pretty rare for somebody to become a Christian after their teenage years. It's, it's, it's abnormal, which means that as any church, there ought to be a significant investment in staff, volunteers, programs, resources geared towards impacting children with the gospel. I mean, if that's your target audience and that's when people come to Jesus, that's where a huge investment should be made. In addition to that, we should be supporting parachurch ministries like Young Life and World Vision and Compassion International, Operation Christmas Child, to get the, hands into, to get the gospel into the hands of unchurched and underreached peoples. And as I think about Wellspring, you know, I'm not getting any younger um, I just hope that we are never a church that just gets old and just kind of fades away. I really hope that we're constantly kind of reinventing ourselves, constantly paying attention to what's going on in youth culture and making sure that we're connecting with that. If people primarily come to Christ before the age of 18, then our primary question has to be, how are we creating a safe and compelling atmosphere for young people to encounter Jesus? Like that's the question that we have to be asking on a leadership level around here constantly. The fact that about 40% of our church is under the age of 18 is a good sign. <laughs> We're getting it right sometimes. But I have to tell you, like, we have to fight to keep it that way. It doesn't take much drifting to all of a sudden see that tide kind of turn. And that's why we got to keep getting younger up here <laughs> and out there and giving people opportunities to lead and feel like they're a part of something and they're contributing. Now, I want to go back to Matthew 18 for a moment. If you can put up that slide, Matthew 18, 3 through 4. It said, and he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Just leave that up there for a second. Now, this is just my opinion. But I think that Jesus gets exasperated at the distraction of adult theology discussions. And you can fill in the blank. Conversations about the end times and what that's going to look like, predestination, whether women should be preachers. I mean, you can put in whatever hot topic you want into that blank. And I think he gets frustrated because primarily so much of those conversations are clothed in pride 
and a concern over rightness at any cost and are done and communicated in such unloving ways. And we can get puffed up and pat ourselves on the back with how we navigate the deep end of the theology pool, but I don't think Jesus is quite as impressed with us as we are with ourselves. I remember a conversation I had with a fellow pastor um, who was kind of having a crisis of faith. And this was somebody who kind of prided themselves on being an expert and having a lot of knowledge about all kinds of biblical topics. And I remember when this was kind of going on, I looked at my friend one day and I said, you know what? Some days I think we just have to keep it simple. And I thought about the interaction that Jesus had where he heals the blind man. It's in John chapter 9 if you want to go read about it. But after he's healed, the religious officials come to the blind man and were asking him all kinds of questions about Jesus. And the blind man just said, hey, listen, all I know is I once was blind and now I see. Something profound happened to me. And the only thing that changed was that I had an interaction with Jesus. Or as Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he wrote, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I stayed in that lane. <laughs> Let's not get so lost in the weeds of spiritual minutiae that we miss the big picture of who Jesus is and what he does. Jesus said that unless we change and become like children, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is a pretty strong and definitive statement, is it not? Guys, children are our faith teachers. Kids ask a million questions a day because they know that they don't know the answer. They're trying to figure it out. And what's funny is like the scene before that, when the girl shows up the first time, I mean, she rattles off 50 questions in like two minutes. What, no, no, no. what about this? What about this? What about this? And I know it's like if I was Jesus in that moment, I'd be like, oh my gosh, girl, where, is your, where are your parents? Well, can I walk you home? I mean, I don't know what you're like when kids ask you questions, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I've answered this question 10,000 times. Whew. And as we mature in our faith, we can sometimes lose that childlike curiosity and wonder. And really, just we can lose humility, thinking that we've got it figured out. Guys, I'm going to bring it home now, okay? <laughs> Guys, we have a city full of kids in this town that need to see and hear about the love of Christ. And that requires time and energy and a personal investment from all of us. And I don't, you know, a lot of you guys know this, but every day <laughs> I stop work at 2.30 and I drive over to Central High School to coach high school kids, along with my friends, Tyler and Kenzie, who are my assistant coaches, 
And I do that every day, hoping that a runner that I've met might encounter Jesus because it's a value and a priority to me. And many of you here are invested in Young Life, or you're leading, helping to lead our youth programs here, or you're an educator that's on the front lines of dealing with lost and hurting kids in our city on a daily basis. And it makes me extremely proud to be the person that gets to stand up in front of you every Sunday and try to encourage you and refresh you and put wind in your sails to go back out and do it another week because you're so valuable to the city. And I feel like I need to remind us of some things this morning because it seems like we've lost our way in this a little bit. But right now where we are in our city, we're surrounded by neighborhoods of kids, primarily that go to Edison Elementary and Bodie Middle School, that desperately need our engagement to show them the love of Christ. They need positive role models who will walk them to school, who will show up on family fun night on September 23rd, in case you missed the date, or will volunteer in their classroom. And honestly, it seemed like a bit of a chore to get folks to sign up to volunteer lately. I think we can do better. You guys do a great job when we pass the plate. But after the service last week and those sign-up sheets back there, zero names. Not only for that, but for also for feeding my starving children. Guys, you can give an hour. You can. We have 100 plus kids in the foster care system in our county and not enough homes for them. And we are the people as Christians who've been given the mandate to care for the widow and orphan in their distress. If we're not going to do it, who is? We got to make room. Are we hindering these children from coming to Jesus? Big brothers and big sisters. I didn't check with them this week. I'm guessing they need mentors. That's a safe bet. Could we be more engaged? Guys, that's just in St. Joe I'm talking about today, let alone kids around the world that need our investment. I think if Jesus were walking the earth today, he'd sit down with a group of adults arguing about some theological conversation and he'd pull a child in the middle of that little circle and he'd ask that kid, hey, tell these folks about the good news of Jesus in simple terms. He'd show up at church board meetings with the kid <laughs> about how resources were being spent and talk about how our finances reflect our commitment to children. He'd pull a child into maybe your family conversation about what your calendar is going to look like this fall, how you're going to spend your money as you're making your budget. And he'd pull the kid in and say, how are your time and resources reflecting your commitment to making sure that these kids come to know Christ? He might visit our worship service and ask how we're changing and becoming like little children. Jesus was angry about kids being pushed to the side and overlooked. Are we? And does it lead to action? We might say that that bothers us, but what are we doing individually, 
corporately as a church. And I know it seems like we're doing more than most churches here. But we've got to be careful not to just rest on comparison. I want you guys to think about one thing that you love about children and how they operate. Everybody just right now in your mind, what do you, what do you love? What's one thing that you love about children and how they operate? Just give me like three or four. What popped in? Simplicity. What's that? Trust everybody. What else? What's that? How honest they are. Sometimes too honest at the grocery store, right? <laughs> Why is that person wearing those clothes, right? Being in the moment. And what else you say? Their passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how kids, like, you know, my son, like, if he knows there's football practice on a Saturday morning or a game, he'll, he'll if whenever his eyes open, whatever time that is, he's up. There's no going back to sleep if you're playing a game that day. Like that anticipation of excitement, right? Of being in community and using their gifts to do something. Guys, I want you to think about whatever it was for you that pops into your head about kids. Could we make it a goal to be more like that quality in our walk with God this week? Just, just pick one thing, whatever it is, more trusting, more passionate, more honest. Just this week, can we just kind of, God, help me to be more like that in my journey with you? Because God says we've got to become like little children. If we don't figure that out, we're never going to enter the kingdom of God. I'm not sure exactly what that means, <laughs> but I don't want to push it. Right? I want to pray about, God, help me understand what you're trying to communicate here. What do I need to know? What are kids trying to teach us about faith? Let's pay attention to the little ones around us. And believe me, I'm at the front of the line of needing to get better at all this, okay? So I'm also at the front of the line of having to walk back there and put my name on a list, okay? But listen, my wife made that announcement last week. And so if people don't start signing up, I'm coming for you, okay? <laughs> just saying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, man, we just love that your heart for kids was just so passionate. And just, and, you know, as adults, we can just get going on all of what we think is important. And even these disciples thinking, oh, man, we're doing Jesus a favor by keeping all these little rugrats away from him, annoying him and bothering him right now. And Jesus is like, no, it's just the opposite. All these people that you want to put in my path because you think it's going to help us have more prestige and more notoriety, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what these little, these little guys who probably get me more than anybody, I want to know what they have to say. What are their questions? I want to put my hands on them and bless them. So God, help us this week maybe to encounter you in a different way as we talked about this morning in Ezekiel, that we would, you know, enter into our day maybe with one mindset, but then as we think about kids and, and their faith, that we would walk out uh, of our house that day with a different perspective, going out a different door. God, help us to value kids. Help us as Wellspring to be just the leaders in that, in our community keeping young people at the center and the forefront of everything that we do. 
so that we're not a hindrance to those folks coming to know you as their Savior. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close today?